we're in this series called Anxious for Nothing. I think it's a, a, just the a perfect timing for this series. But Austin shared that anxiety is a feeling and worry is an action. And, and he went on to share how anxiety and worry can distract us from what God is calling us to do. And I believe that, right? I mean, I see that. When we're worried, when we're anxious about something, we're not thinking about, God, what do you want me to do? God, how will you use me? God, where can I go? No, we're, we're just thinking about how can we get through this problem that I'm facing. And I think all of us struggle with anxiety and worry at different levels and at different points in our lives. So it's something that we all face and we all have to learn to deal with. And if we aren't aware of, of it, if we're not careful, it's going to consume us. Now, I think the last few weeks, uh, you, you've, you've heard a little bit through these messages, but, but worry, stress, and anxiety, they affect us in dramatic ways. I know um, every time I go to my cardiologist, the question he asks is, uh, how's your stress level? I'm like, I'm a pastor, right? There's no stress in that, so I'm good. Um, you're just dealing with people's issues and problems, and no, and, and and I know all of us face that in life, right? We we're we're helping God people through this life we live in. I saw a study this week that said stress and anxiety can lower your IQ, and it, the study said it lowered it by 13 points. Uh, just when you're under stress, so when you're stressed out, you don't think clearly, <laughs> and, and, and right. I mean, I see that, right? I mean, when we're stressed out, you don't. Your mind is not functioning the way it's supposed to. Or it affects us mentally. It affects us physically with all the health conditions that arise out of stress. Not only that, it affects us spiritually. And so, uh, you know, I'll just share this. That this, is, this is important stuff for us to talk about. Larry shared last week how God's power is made perfect in our weakness. In essence, he's just saying it's okay to not be okay. Um, and, and, and every one of us has those weaknesses that we struggle with, but we've got to learn to take it to Jesus. This morning, I'm going to be in Matthew 11, uh, just a, a really great passage for us. This section, we find that Jesus and the disciples are in Capernaum. And, and here's the thing, I, I don't want to be that guy that like every time we see a, a, a name or place in the Bible says, hey, I was there. But I was there, okay? <laughs> I, I was at Capernaum just last week, and, and, it, and it's, just, it's right on the Sea of Galilee. It was a fishing village. It was kind of a poor village, but this is the place, right, in Capernaum, where Jesus calls Andrew and Peter to come be his disciples and calls them to be fishers of men. This is the place where uh, James and John follow him. This is the place he calls Matthew, the tax collector, who was there to follow him. And it's not a big place. But it's a beautiful place. It's almost tropical-like when you're there. And, and so this is where so much of his ministry was done. He was here after he was run out of Nazareth. So he left his hometown. He kind of set up base here in Capernaum. And then right across uh, just a few miles away is Corazon and Bethsaida. And that was kind of the area where he did most of his ministry. And so this is where he shares uh, this truth that is so important to us. I'm going to pick it up early in Matthew 11 and kind of bring us up to where I want to talk about. But in Matthew 11, verse 1, it says this, When Jesus had finished giving these instructions to his 12 disciples, he went out to teach and preach it uh, in towns throughout the region. 
John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all these things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah that we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? And here's what's interesting, right? John the Baptist had questions. He had concerns. He, had, he wasn't sure. Are, okay, I thought you were the Messiah, but are you really? Is kind of what he's asking here. He's like, it doesn't seem like it because I'm in prison right now and things aren't looking so good for me. Are you the one? In other words, he is stressed out. And he's saying, are you the one or we keep looking? Jesus told them, go back and tell John and tell him what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who who do not fall away because of me. And so what, in essence, he's telling them, when, when we lose sight and when we are doubtful and when we are stressed out, when we are anxious, what do we do? We go back and look at what Jesus has already done. We look at how he ministered. We look at what he accomplished. We look uh, and we see and we're comforted by the fact of who he really is. And Jesus continues in verse, tw- I'll skip ahead a little bit to verse 20. Um, and then he said this about the people who were there listening. He began to denounce the, t- the towns where he had done so many of the miracles because they hadn't repented of their sins and turned to God. What sorrow awaits you, Corazon and Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did and you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. I tell you, Tyre and Sidon will be better off on Judgment Day than you. And you people of Capernaum, you will be honored. Will you be honored in heaven? No, you will go down to the place of the dead. For if the miracles I did for you had been done in wicked Sodom, I would still be here today. Uh, I tell you, even Sodom will be better off on judgment than you. So here's what's interesting. The people had seen the miracles. They had seen God at work, but they still didn't repent and believe. Instead of being embraced, both John the Baptist and Jesus were rejected and so Jesus kind of, you know, he kind of calls them out for it. And it's like, you've seen all this stuff happen. You've seen the miracles. You've seen me do all this stuff. And yet you still are questioning. You still are worried. You still don't believe. You still haven't repented. And that kind of brings us to the place where we're going today at the end of chapter 11. Now on the... Uh, What's interesting here is this chapter ends with a glimpse straight into the heart of Jesus. This is one of those special places that we don't have to question. I wonder what Jesus thought. I, don't, I wonder what Jesus feels for us. This is one of those places where we hear what he's actually thinking, what his heart really is for us. And, and this is, he's not come to make our lives harder He's not come to make our lives more difficult. He's not come to give us a bunch of rules to live by. He has come to bring us life. He has come to walk beside of us. He has come to have a relationship with us. And what he wants in return is for us to believe and to follow him. I I read a book on the plane ride uh, called Gentle and Lowly. 
the, the subtitle of it is The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. It's by Dane Ortland. Kind of follows in the, the pattern of a, of, of a Puritan book. I love reading the Puritans, but he just takes Matthew 11 and, and the passage we're about to talk about, and he writes a whole book, like 300 pages about this. And I'll share a few quotes today, but this is from the book cover. He says, Christians know that God loves them, but can easily feel that he is perpetually disappointed and frustrated, maybe even close to giving up on them. And as a result, they focus a lot, and rightly so, on what Jesus has done to appease God's wrath for sin. But how does Jesus Christ actually feel about his people amid all of their sins and failures? This book draws us to Matthew 11, where Jesus describes himself as gentle and lowly in heart, longing for his people to find rest in him. The gospel flows from God's deepest heart for his people, a heart of tender love for the sinful and suffering. I think sometimes some of our stress and our worry and anxiety comes from our, the, the expectations that we've placed on ourselves that we've, and also the expectations that we have allowed others to place on ourselves. I feel like we're carrying a burden that we were never meant to carry. And here Jesus tells us there's a better way to live. And so I just want to say today, if you're here and you feel like you have the weight of the world on your shoulders, there's hope. If you're stressed or anxious because of the pressure of life, and there we've and Larry and Austin both talked about that, there are other reasons you can be stressed and and have anxiety, and there's even medical conditions, and there's all sorts of reasons. But I'm I'm talking today to those of you who have so much responsibility, you're carrying so much weight that you don't know what to do, that you're stressed out about choices. He says in the book, meek, humble, gentle. Jesus is not trigger happy. He's not harsh. He's not reactionary. He's not easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. I want to challenge your view of who Jesus is this morning a little bit. I want, to, I want you to see him for who he really is. That he's compassionate, that he's kind, that he's wanting you to find rest, to have peace. So let's find this passage that gives us so much hope for our worries and stress. Matthew 11, it says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Wow. I love this verse. And, and I think when we talk about stress and anxiety, we've got to come here and see this promise we have from Jesus. It's the one place in the Bible where the Son of God, He pulls back the veil and He lets us see into the core of who He really is. Uh, Dane Ortland says this, We are not told that he is austere and demanding in heart. We are not told that he's exalted and dignified. We are not even told that he is joyful and generous. Letting Jesus set the terms, his surprising claim is that he is gentle and lowly. 
Jesus could have come and, and, and high and mighty, or I mean, we could describe him in all sorts of ways, but when he describes himself, these are the two adjectives he chose gentle and lowly. Brings me to my first point this morning, and if you're following along, I really want to encourage you to, to take notes today because these are some important things that I, I hope that you will carry with you even when you leave. The first thing is grace reminds us that Jesus does not tell us to try harder. He tells us to come to him. A lot of people are trying to overcome their stress and anxiety. Just, I've got to get more done. I've got to try harder. I'll just keep failing, but I've got to do better. Can I just tell you, if you're on that path, it's like a treadmill that goes nowhere. You're, you're going to keep going, and you're going to keep turning that speed up, and you're going to keep going, and all you're going to do is find yourself more exhausted, more exasperated, trying to keep up. This passage is what gives us encouragement. Jesus reminds us that we need to listen to him and not believe the lies of the world. I, I know, I, I'm, I'm just... I know there's a lot of churches, there's a lot of people that will tell you if you're stressed out, if you struggle with anxiety, the answer is try harder, pray harder, read the Bible more, repent of your sin more, and it's dependent on you to do more to overcome what you're going through. I'm here to tell you that's a lie. I'm not telling you those things are bad, but that's not how you overcome it. You overcome it by going to Jesus, by coming to Him. By finding rest in Him. It's not dependent upon you doing more and more and more trying to appease God. No, He is wanting you to find rest in Him. Now, prayer and Scripture and this humility before God, it's, it's, it's important. I'm not going to, I mean, I'm not minimizing that. But it's legalism and it's a false gospel that tells us that we can work our way out of it. Grace reminds us that God, grace reminds us that Jesus does not tell us to try harder. He tells us to come to him. And so uh, Dane Ortland said this, he said, it's the most counterintuitive aspect of Christianity that we are declared right with God, not once we begin to get our act together, but once we collapse into honest acknowledgement that we never will. We have to understand that we need Jesus. We need Jesus. No matter what we're going through, it's not a matter of us trying to do more, accomplish more. It's a matter of us trusting in Jesus to do what we can never do upon, uh, we can never do by ourselves. Jesus says to take my yoke upon you. Now, when you read this verse, my mind immediately goes to some of the mission work we've done in Nicaragua because you'll see oxen come down the road. And I'm just telling you, oxen are huge. If you've ever seen them in real life, I mean, you think cows and bulls are big here, oxen, you're going, goodness gracious, that's a big animal. These things are huge, and they have a, a, a wooden crossbar across their necks that ties them together, and you'll see them, I mean, even today, you see them going down the street pulling wood carts, and uh, they're pulling trailers and, and pulling plows in the field, and, and they use this, this huge wooden yoke to tie them together. And I mean, this thing is heavy, it's big, these animals are huge, and when you see that, you see them laboring under the load of that yoke that they're using to, to, to get them to work together and pull and work. And, and Jesus says, I've given you a yoke, but my yoke is easy. It's not the yoke that you think of. Uh, 
In the book, it says this, Jesus is using a, a kind of irony saying that the yoke laid on his disciples isn't really a yoke, for it's a yoke of kindness. Who could resist this? It's like telling a drowning man that he must put on the burden of a life preserver only to hear him shout back, no way, not me. This is hard enough. I'm drowning here in stormy waters. The last thing I need is another burden. The last thing I need is a life preserver. But that's what Jesus does here. He's saying, you need something else, but it's a yoke of kindness. You need to understand who I am. You need to understand that my nature, my very nature, I'm gentle and lowly. That I want you to come to me. Not to, to give us more, not to, to pile on more and more responsibility and more and more things to do. It's to find rest. That leads me to my second point. If you are weary, that's what Jesus is calling you. He's calling you to peace and rest. And I feel like we live in a culture today that so many people, if you would ask them to characterize their lives, their, their words that they use to describe themselves, it would not be, hey, I'm peaceful and rested. If I asked you this morning, how many of you are peaceful and rested? I don't think there's many of you that would say, oh, man, I slept so good and my kids just did everything I asked them to. Mom's right. It's Mother's Day. Woke up to breakfast in bed. I am so peaceful and rested. No, I mean, you get to church, and by the grace of God, you, hopefully you, you, you've not had an all-out, knock-down, drag-out fight getting here, right? And, and so we're not peaceful. We're not rested. We're weary. We're tired. How's life? Oh, I'm busy. I'm busy. I, I just I have so much to do. How's your, you know, I, I've got to do this, and I've got to do this, and I just, can't, I just can't get it all done. I don't have the time. When you talk to people, this is the world we're living in. Thomas Goodwin said this, he said, Christ is love covered over in flesh. Christ is love covered over in flesh. That's what Christ is. And I want you to know that whatever our weariness is caused by, we can bring it to Jesus. When our anxiety, when our anxiety is too much, when the world seems overwhelming, when we're at the end of our strength, that's where he meets us. And Jesus, he's not saying that life is free of pain or, or hardship. And, and I know some of you guys are hurting here this morning. There are things going on in your life that you don't understand, that you can't explain. And you're worried about. You feel that no one understands the load that you are carrying. No one sees your pain. No one knows what you're going through. What you need is love covered over in flesh. And that's who Jesus is. And that's why Jesus came. Um, we don't get it together so we can come to Jesus. No, we come to Jesus in our messiness and in our pain. And he says, I will give you rest. Um, in Psalm 55, it says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. Cast your burden on the Lord. He will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Cast your, cast your burden on the Lord. Cast your burden on Him. Our, our tendency is to think that when life gets more difficult, the more alone we are, the more we've got to do to, to fix the problems that we're in. And, and that's not how it works. The more stressed we get, the more uh, the, the Bible kind of corrects us and says we are never alone. That He, has never, he, he never forgets us. That He is here with us every step of the way. 
And I would even say that the desire of Jesus is not that we feel overwhelmed and burdened and weary. His desire is that we come to Him and that we find that peace and rest. And, and, and again, in our culture, in our... Man, I, I think this is where our American culture has, has sold us a lie that we bought hook, line, and sinker, right? It's told us that to feel good about ourselves, we have to accomplish more. We have to do more. We have to provide all this stuff for our kids to do. So we get our kids involved in 10 million different activities, and we have this fear of missing out, FOMO, right? We're afraid that we're going to miss out something, so we've got to do everything. And then we're like wondering, why am I so stressed out? Why am I tired? Why am I weary? Why am I anxious? It's because we're not finding peace and rest in Jesus. You know, from the very beginning of time, uh, when we see God create the universe, He created a day of rest. He created the Sabbath for us to stop, for us to reflect, for us to recharge. And I'll just tell you, we aren't doing that in today's world and culture. We don't stop. We don't rest. We feel guilty when we don't do anything. We're like, but, but the house still needs to be clean. I've still got to do this, and I've still got to do this. And, and we don't slow down. So that brings me to this question, why is our load so heavy? I think we're seeing some of the reason is just our busyness. Some of, some of this load that we're carrying that we were never meant to carry. Francis Chan said this a few years ago, and I've shared this quote before. And it's a little harsh. I'm not going to lie. But it's truthful for us. He says this. He says, worry implies that we don't quite trust God is big enough, powerful enough, or loving enough to take care of what's happening in our lives. That's convicting to me. Is it convicting to you guys? When we say worry is just saying, God, we don't trust that you're big enough to handle the problems in my life. So I've got to take care of them myself. I've got to carry this load because it's too much for you. How ridiculous is that when we say it that way, right? Worry, it's saying, okay, we don't trust God. And and so that brings me to my next point here this morning. And and this is is going to be freeing, okay? You you get this free this morning. You don't have to pay for this, but this is something you can take with you, and it will change your life, okay? You ready to hear this? Here's my next point. You are not responsible to solve every problem for every person in your life. Can I get an amen? This is the load that so many of us are carrying. I've got all this stuff I'm doing, and I've got to make sure, and I've got to keep all these plates spinning, and I've got to fix this problem. I've got to fix this problem. I've got to take care of this problem. And we're doing all of that, and no wonder we are stressed out. We are not designed to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. God did not create us to have this type of burden. And I'm not blaming you, but I'm saying if this shoe fits here, let's really be aware enough to look at it and see what we can do to change it. This is, you know, and I, I don't know, maybe it's because of all the Marvel movies and Star Wars movies that we want to be the hero of the story. We want to be the hero. and like, look at me, look at what I'm doing. And it's even got a name, a savior complex or a messiah complex where we feel like and, I, and I'll tell you, I see this a lot in the church. People put this pressure on themselves. I've got to fix every problem. 
I've got to fix everything that comes my way and, and I've got to handle this. And then people will look at me and, and appreciate me. People will look at me and I won't feel isolated. And, and we do it and, and we, we have good intentions, but we're really doing things for the wrong reason. And when we do this, when we try to save everyone, when we try to fix every problem, when we get caught up in that, the weight becomes crushing and we crumple underneath it. I read this and it said, we are not intended to carry all the things all the time. We are called to love God and love others, but that doesn't mean we take on every cause, every hurt, every injustice, every movement. We aren't meant to shoulder all those burdens or carry that heavy yoke. Jesus reminds us that his burden is light and the yoke is easy. And we have to learn to lean on our supportive church community, our like-minded friends and trusted mentors who can help us find a better balance. You know, we all have different gifts. We all have different passions. We all have a heart for different things. And just because every person is not as committed to what you feel passionate about doesn't mean they're less of a Christian than you are. We've got to learn, right? Everybody can't do everything, but we can all do something. We do what God has called us to do, what He has equipped us to do, what He has given us to do. But you're not responsible to solve every problem for every person in your life. Galatians says it this way. In Galatians chapter 6, uh, verse 2 through 5, it says, "...carry each other's burdens." And then this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Now, doesn't this just contradict what I just said? Well, hold on a minute. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive, them, de- deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Wait a minute. Carry each other's burden, but then you should carry your own load. D- did you notice the contradiction there? Have you noticed this before, right? We're called to carry each other's burden, but we're also called to carry our own load. Well, the key is in looking at the original languages and seeing that there's a difference here. The word burden means this weight of personal and eternal significance. It means something that you cannot carry by yourself. And and so think of it as this crushing weight where you need someone to come and walk with you. But when it says we each should carry their own load, this is a much smaller. This is your personal responsibility. This is what you're called to do, and, and, someone, and, and you're not being helped if someone in, that comes along and carries the load that God has given you and, and does it for you. No, we all have our load to carry. The problem is we take on the loads of everybody else, and we're wondering why we're crushing underneath it. We, 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 we're called to carry these burdens together. And that's when we come along um, side of someone that just has something crushing. And maybe it's someone that has lost someone important in their life. Or maybe it's someone that has just got that, that diagnosis and they need help. Or maybe it's someone that they're going through such a, a financial struggle that the only way they can get out of it is if when people come alongside them and help. But that doesn't mean that we're called to go in and fix every problem. Uh, there's a, I'll, I'll share about this. It's kind of interesting to me. But I've seen a change in parenting over the last 20 years. And I, uh, I'm not a sociologist. I'm not a psychologist. not an anthropologist. But I love looking at culture. And we saw this change go from kind of detached parenting. Right? 
Uh, I'm Generation X. We kind of grew up latchkey kids. Your parents just said, hey, just be show up for supper, and the rest of the time you're on your own, right? Can, you know, I mean, that's kind of... Um, and now, then we started getting into this helicopter parenting. You know what I mean? Like parents that are just hovering over the kids, and as soon as something is wrong, they jump in and try to fix it for the kids. And I think, I hope you would agree with me that that's not healthy, right? That kids need to learn from their own mistakes and, 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 and kind of figure out the problem. Now we've moved way beyond helicopter parenting, and I've seen it called a couple of different things. I've seen it called snowplow parenting or lawnmower parenting or bulldozer parenting where instead of hovering over your kids, you're out in front clearing the way, mowing down everything in their path so that they don't have any problems in life. What do you think that does to our kids? It's, it's the parent taking on this load saying, I've got to fix every problem. I, I've got to fix it. And it creates kids, right? I'll tell you what it does. It, it creates kids who don't learn from their mistakes because they're not allowed to make mistakes. It creates a victim mentality for their kids. Everybody's out to get my kids, you, and so I've got to fix all the problems. You know, I, I'll tell you this. Uh, we're part of a Facebook group for incoming freshmen where Drew's going to college in the fall. He's going to Western Carolina. And I have been shocked by some of the posts on the Facebook group for parents Parents are commenting all the time, and this is this is. I mean, they're they're and and some are, are their kids are already freshmen there, and they're like they're commenting like, how can I get in touch with this professor? They gave my they wouldn't take they wouldn't accept this assignment for my kid, and I need to call them and explain why. And I'm like, wait a minute, your kid is in college. There's parent and there's parents saying, well, how do I do this for my kid? And how do I do this for my kid? And I'm just wanting to shout, you don't do it. The way you help your kid is to step back and let them be an adult. But yet, we wonder why we're stressed and we're anxious and we're worried. We're carrying a weight we were never meant to carry. Because we're trying to fix problems for every person in our life. And So I don't know if this is something you struggle with as a parent, but I'm just telling you that I'm seeing it more and more and more. Uh, and for our young parents, I, you know, what a, a day on Mother's Day to, to, to share this. But it's just a challenge. Let your kids figure out their problems. Teach them. Explain it afterwards. Walk through them. Let, they're going to experience some pain and disappointment. And that's okay. You can't fix every problem for every person. And that kind of leads me. To my final point, that healthy boundaries aren't selfish. We think that when we create boundaries in life, that a boundary is a bad thing. But even Jesus, there were times the crowd's pushing around him and, and people are wanting to be healed. And, and he's got to feel this pressing weight that there's more to do and I can't get it all done. What, did he, what does he do? He withdraws. He gets on a boat. He goes to the other side. What does he do? He goes away and the disciples can't find him because he's praying on a mountainside. What does he, what does he do? He, he, he moves on and goes to the next city, even though there's still work to be done. Why? Because he had boundaries. He, 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 didn't, he couldn't do everything for everyone, so he did what he was called to do. And I think we need to remember that. Um, there's, there's a phrase we use sometimes here at church. When we are dealing with emergency needs and benevolence needs, and there's times where we we just you you as a church you've got to jump in and, and fix stuff. 
But there's a phrase we use, and, and it's, your lack of planning does not constitute my emergency. <laughs> now that sounds like really bad, right? As a Christian, aren't we, supposed to, aren't we to help everybody? Well, sometimes you have to have boundaries in life. Sometimes it's best not to help. There's a book even out called When Helping Hurts, right? Uh, because there's times that when we help people too much, uh, we create these unhealthy codependencies. We create problems for them because we're snowplow. We're, we're, clearing, we're carrying a load for them that they need to carry themselves. And so I, I share all of this just to tell you, right, when, when we think about stress and anxiety, what is the load you're carrying? What is it that you have on your shoulders? I, I want you to think about it. What is it that you're carrying that you shouldn't be carrying, that God has not called you to carry? What is it that you need to, to drop off at the foot of the cross and say, I'm tired of carrying this, Jesus, you can handle it. Because I'm, I'm not going to worry about it anymore. I'm, I'm going to trust that you can handle this load for me. I think so many of our problems, are we, we cause them ourselves because we try to do more than what God has called us to do. Now, it takes some discernment to figure out when are those times to jump in and do things. Um, but if we can do that, right? If we can do that, if we can use that discernment and, and, there's time, and, and just learn that there's times it's okay to have boundaries, it's time to, to step back, it's okay. Let me kind of close with Matthew 11 again. I'm going to read it from a different translation or a different paraphrase. I'm going to read it from the message. This is what... I, I want to kind of close with this this morning, and then we'll, we'll close. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Do y'all want to live freely and lightly? You want to have a life of peace and rest? Do you want to walk with Jesus and learn from Him? From him? Then it means we've got to lay down some things and follow after Him. And if you don't know Jesus, that's where it all starts. It's not based on doing more to, to, to get God to approve of you. It's a matter of laying down everything and saying, I'm tired of running my own life. I want you to be the Lord of my life. And I want to just give you a chance to do that right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that we can come to you today and we can find rest for our souls and I know that in a church this size, there are people here that are hurting, that are carrying a load, that are suffering from this weight of the world on their shoulders. And Lord, we just need to lay it down. We need to lay it down and trust you. Lord, I pray for those who are listening online and, and watching with us today and wherever they're at. And I pray for those in this room today who, who would say, I'm trying to be the Lord of my own life trying to fix every problem for me, for everybody around me, and I'm not really trusted you to be the Lord of my life. Would today be that day where they yield themselves and say, okay, I'm tired of trying to do it on my own. I want you to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. I want you to take control of my life. I want to start following you and trusting you. 
Lord, help me to, to confess where my sin, help me to confess my control, help me to, to lay those things down and trust you. Lord, I believe that you went to the cross to die for me, to die on my behalf, to take the punishment, to take the sin, to take the shame upon you so that I could have peace and rest. And Lord, I want to live in that. I want to walk in that. I want to trust you. I want to believe in you. I want to follow you. That's your prayer today. Jesus hears it. He answers it. And he saves you. Lord, I pray for the people in this church that you would help us to do a great and a mighty work for you, but you would not allow us to do it in such a way where we do it on our own. That instead we trust you to lead us. And we do it in a way that brings peace and rest. Lord, we just thank you this morning. We praise the name of Jesus. Lord, we want, we, we want to walk with you. We want to learn from you. We want to, to live freely and lightly. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.